Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hold your applause. Yeah. Holla. It's about to go down. Shut him down. Just blaze. Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Perspectives Podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I am a writer for Greatland.com. And on the other line, with a glove compartment full of Pedialyte, it's Andy Greenwald! That's just sensible. That's just sensible. Listen, we're going to talk, Chris, we're going to talk about True Detective, but that that worked for me. Like, yeah. I feel like most cars should have a little emergency pick-me-up box in the glove box yeah i mean i think that the, the, the there's there was some illegal i guess maybe not in california oh it's it is legal to drive around with a bottle of smeared off in california i think is nothing sacred that's ridiculous um andy we will talk about true detective we're going to talk a little bit about some of the there's just the great headlines coming out of comic-con if there's one thing you and i consistently care about it's the headlines coming out of comic-con people tune into the show for the truth and we may about talk about the future of radio, or we may talk about the future of television. It depends on who wins this fight. The future is wide open. Um, let's talk a little bit about Trudy. Uh, fourth episode last night called Down Will Come, which mm. I guess were the last three letters for the refrigerator magnet poetry set that hadn't been used Chris, yet. Chris, let's talk about something here. Are you familiar with the myth of Atlas, the Greek myth of Atlas about the big, the big dude who has all of the world on his shoulders, and he's, he's, he's straining. It's hard. You know, it's, you gotta, got to lift from the core, not yeah. the arms, but yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you hold up the world. Yeah, it's like that's a CrossFit. That's, that's you, Chris, with this show. <laughs> I'm serious now because your recap this week, week four, was the best you've written, and they've all been good. Thank you. That's very this nice re- of you. This recap was so good, and it was so engaging, and it was so kind and generous to a show that, let's be honest, was awful. When you night. say "let's be honest," it's like, don't you just mean like what I uh, that I want to tell you is awful? <laughs> Let's just be. No, I'm saying that I think that we agreed about everything about that show last night. I appreciated your dispassion. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I think what you brought to this episode was a really healthy attitude of here are still the things that I like. Here's the best case scenario for the parts that I didn't like. And uh, here's a glove box full of marijuana and and vodka. Yeah. I, and, and let's and let's drive away. There. Here's here's the issue is that I you you make a shootout part at the end of episode four, and also coming off of the back and, and coming off of a Game of Thrones season that had plenty of episodes or at least two that had lots of talking and then an incredible set piece. So we we yeah. are trained okay. for that kind of structure to to a television episode now, and I just thought that compare when you compare the the raid from the first season of true detective in which matthew mcconaughey raids that drug house and there's that uninterrupted tracking shot what what's his name nuke uh it's his name's russ cole but obviously his alter ego is crash obviously yeah uh (laughs) and then and then you have something similar happen in the second season it just calls into focus all the differences but also deficiencies and i felt like this was largely an episode that had fallen into a kind of weird neutral gear of Vince Vaughn asking for dudes pieces of dudes action Colin Farrell and Rachel uh, McAdams showing up at people's places and be like what's going on and those people basically telling them literally telling them what's <laughs> and going being on like what's and them still being like what's going on and then at the and, end and 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 one other thing happening Kelly Riley needing to fire her personal assistant for not following her instructions on when to wake her up from an ambient coma <laughs> I know nothing about her personal intake, whatever, but I think that this is one of the strangest performances ever captured on American film. Well, I cannot in a billion years tell you what she thinks so this she's is doing a, in this I, part. I was going to get to this later, but let me ask you this straight out of the gate. 
Do you have the feeling like there this was shot differently? Like in so much as like, do you think Kelly Riley ever met Taylor Kitsch? No. Do you think she really wanted to? Do you think that's why no? She took but I mean, job? like, don't you? Is feel, she like doesn't it feel like they got a house somewhere in the hills and shot? Yeah. Vince Vaughn and Kelly I, Riley stuff, I, and they were like, "This is the kind of show we're going to be on. It's going to be this like Japanese no theater of like gestures and turning away from one another, and it's going to be soap operatic." And then they were like, "Actually, no. What we're going to make is this really hardcore sun baked yes, downtown I, LA crime cop drama." I, I don't think you're wrong. I know I know absolutely nothing about the production of this show because obviously they were very secretive yeah. and they weren't going to tell me about it, regardless. Um, I think that the production may have been slightly troubled or rushed. I get that feeling for a number of reasons, one of which was in last night's episode, which was not made available to critics ahead of time, which could mean they were holding it back. (laughs) I know you know because you were up all night last night. They were either holding it back for reasons of quality or they were holding it back because it just wasn't done, which could have suggested a later, you know, everything got bumped a little bit. The other reason um, why I said that is there were crucial – and this is Alan Sepinwall mentioned this in his recap – there were a lot of scenes that just seemed like they were missing last night. Like, they showed up at the pawn shop, and we have no idea why they showed up at the pawn shop. You know, there were a lot of... Uh, I don't know if... They weren't artful enough to be intentional ellipses. So I think, anyway, all of that is to say it's very possible that a lot of this was cobbled together in a way that was not fluid. Yeah, but, and, and it had actually a, a f- sort of infamous trope from good and bad crime fiction, which is a major thing happening because someone else's CI told them they should do it. Yeah, where you never meet the CIA. It's like there's so many books and shows that we've seen where it's like I've got an informant that tells us we need to go raid this warehouse with a yeah, bunch of right machine now. guns right now. Yeah, it's like yeah. this informant says so. Well, let's like, let's load go. Up. Yeah, can we talk about the True Detective Taylor Kitsch is True Detection, where he's looking at a picture of a watch and the watch <laughs> says this is the watch, and he's holding up the other watch and he's like, mm, <laughs> I don't know. Um, here, here's the other thing I want to say about this. I feel like True Detective Season 2 thus far is the greatest addition to Kerry Fukunaga's highlight reel you could ever have. Obviously, he had nothing to do with this season of the show, and that's the best thing that'll ever happen in his career. In that, it's more clear than ever that what this show needs is someone with a very, very strong directorial touch and aesthetic to elevate the material. Or not even to elevate the material, because that's coming from a place of pizzolato, I was going to say agnosticism, but we could just say dislike. Um... It's not just that. It's you need someone who doesn't who gets the material. And when and when you hear some of the dialogue, the scenes with Vince Vaughn and, and Kelly Riley where they're where they're talking you know, last week about being diminished about what they're gonna make a move on and what they're gonna do and how he's broke now and circumstances have changed and needs a cut, it seems like a parody of a parody. It falls so flat. And it's in the same way that if you had McGee shoot Shakespeare, it would fall flat. Yeah. Because it doesn't track. If you have someone who understands a noir tradition and is celebrating it and winking at it even a little bit, those scenes play very, very differently. And I'm not even digging on Jeremy Podeswa, who directed it, because he's done a good job on Game of Thrones and other shows. He's a good TV director. But TV direction, traditionally, is a very different beast. And you see it even in this episode where there are all these very heavy-handed indicating shots. There was a moment when I think Rachel McAdams picks up something and we do a smash cut to what she's looking at. Like the wooden icon? The icon. It's just this smash awkward cut like no no really look at this and yeah. it's telling us how to look at it in a way that doesn't jive with what's being the way the the, the script is written now that you mentioned that seven wall thing there does seem to be a couple of things that jump to mind about like what why were the press at taylor kitsch's hotel i mean i guess right that, that was a missing like, step when, like he, there was like a weird like 
the, the implication was that he was already infamous from the TMZ thing with the actress, and then someone, had found in order him. to discredit him, right. had leaked the information I about what he was doing in, in the desert, not with that dude, but what they had done to villages or whatever. I see. Um, I, I think that the other thing that we're really seeing here, and, uh, you know, this episode was credited to Pizzolatto and a co-writer, so he brought in help for this yeah. episode, which was kind of interesting. We're seeing the downsides to the auteur theory in terms of a writer. Because obviously, you and I, we love the written word. We like, we, we like seeing singular visions that brought to life. The downside of that is that there's no one else in the room to tell you maybe to give it another shot. And in 2015, for a scene to have a tag based on a joke about a mood ring... Right. was so odd. I mean, that is the kind of line where you put that in on the first draft and there's someone else in the writer's room being like, no, like that's not but funny I, okay, nor so is it relevant. Let, let me play devil's advocate thing. here. The mood ring thing would work in terms of the characters who were there because that's like this new, new age guru and his daughter. So they would have a fluency about auras, you know, and Colin Farrell's character is just sort of like, what are you guys talking about? Um, I do happen to like almost weirdly now like Vince Vaughn and Kelly Riley, even though they're so crazy, but just like the avocado trees and the weird fight about like, congratulations, we're club owners, you know, like I how, how about the scene where he's like, <laughs> I've never had a cavity. Yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> like, was that? <laughs> I don't know. It's good stuff. And then it's not good stuff. It's the opposite of good. stuff. I enjoy it. Uh, the stuff with. Um... So so I wanted to talk more, though, about the. For as much as we we sort of returned to a, a a structure of the episode, which was a lot of philosophizing punctuated with this huge set piece at the end, um, which I think Sean Fantasy on the ride into work today appropriately to, to sort of described as more burn notice than heat. You know, like it was yeah. it wanted to be heat, but it was more like on the level of like a good it, USA show. It was. And I also want to shout out to Sean Fennessy for returning from his Dr. Pitler walkabout in the uh, southwest, <laughs> you see of, his face. southwest um, of America, coming back with cultural observations. That's good. Um, but, you know, Up Rocks did a post today about the Santa Muerta stuff that was sort of briefly alluded to right. in uh, like passing by Frank Simeon and then. You know, you, you can kind of see, and then I didn't really put this together, but Lito Amarillo, who's the guy who gets uh, killed at the end of the last night's episode, it, Amarillo means yellow, I guess, and, uh, you know, yellow king, and th this idea that the occult is sort of <laughs> coming back, and that there might be this sort of cult fit, like this dark figure like a yellow king in more uh -huh. than one place, right? And, um, I think we're, I here's think the thing, is, and you were talking about. Everyone's grasping here. Everybody wants this. No, but I mean, like, you don't name somebody that by accident. Of all the names in the world, you're like, I think I'll name him Lido Amarillo. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that that wasn't on purpose on the part of Pizzolatto, but I'm saying the desire to have something connect into a larger meaning is the first symptom of true detectiveitis. Right. You know, and, that, and I don't even mean that in a disparaging way because no one loved Lost more than I did. I mean, that is something that we do as fans, and I just feel like he has yet, Pizzolatto has yet to deliver on all of those seeds right so it's weird that he's going back to it i don't know right. and and i think that this suggestion here and i kind of wrote about this last night is just the idea that there is this evil in the world that kind of is funneled through these institutions and through these right. religions yep. and through families and it's like inherited by one generation after the other and it can manifest itself in many ways and like a yellow king is just like another face for a devil or whatever and i that that's interesting to me but what was sort of disappointing to me is that the first season of True Detective felt very alive to me and you know you can dislike or like parts of it but I don't think that it felt 
um, predictable and it felt very organic. I mean, you forget, like, there's these passages of, like, Matthew McConaughey's character just kind of, like, getting with Michelle Monaghan's friend for a couple of episodes and trying to go straight. And there's, like, these digressions that are... You, they, no, they don't necessarily ever pan out or pay off, per se, but they're really interesting in terms of character building. And you didn't really know where this, this season was going. And to see him kind of go, okay, car conversation, uh, shootout, overhead shot of freeway, et cetera, et cetera, all these things from last season, and even bring back things like a Yellow King kind of character. Yeah. Or a Reggie Ledoux character, which is what I think Amarillo will obviously wind up being, yeah. as Uproxx suggested. And you're just kind of like, oh, so this is just like a structure? You could have done anything. And you could have done anything with the visuals. You could have had a totally yes. new look for this show. And you did. I, I, I agree. I think that when TV gets into the most trouble, actually, is when the storytelling gets caught between two different goals or two different ideas. It's not when things are all the way crazy. Um, because all the way crazy can at least be entertaining. Yeah. It's not when it gets all the way straight because CBS procedurals are effective. You know, they follow a, a rhythm and a pattern that people like and find comforting and dependable, and that's successful. I think the problem so far emerging in this season is that it's it's caught between these two extremes. Yeah. I think that I wasn't, as we all know, I was not a fan of the first season. Um, and actually what I sort of started to like about the second season was the convention was how conventional it yeah. was because there were moments in last night's episode for me i think there were more for you but there were a few moments in the fourth episode where i really enjoyed it all of a sudden and it came out it bubbled up out of nowhere and emily rios who i think is a great actor she was on uh, breaking bad and yeah. on the bridge she had a really nice scene <laughs> where she was cradling a gigantic bong but <laughs> she was in the scene she was very good in it the scene when uh taylor kitsch gets into the car with with colin farrell the, the glove box aside like that was a good scene i like the moments in the show now that are just boring old cop stuff. Yeah. Cops getting to know each other, cops driving around. That's perfectly good. And the problem with an episode like last night is it's so in love with the talking and the talking is gibberish. Last night's episode was mostly gibberish and the final shootout was completely incoherent on top of it because it was basically saying, well, okay, here's some machine guns now. Like, yeah. let's wake it up. We did this last year. It'll work again. And it was not shot with any lyricism or oddness. I mean, you know, we, we talked a lot last year. It wasn't about even shot with shot. much logic. I mean, you, you're like, so it, wait, you guys didn't clear out the protesters before it, you ran into a warehouse? Like, And what were they protesting? And why was Frank there? And who cares is the right, bigger problem. Right. It looked like it was taking place on the set of the movie that they visited last week. It felt completely yeah, I've actually noticed a couple of times where I'm just like, fake. is this garage for where you put the burned car the same warehouse where you shoot yeah. the seat? Like, you know what I mean? And that was yes. that was another thing. Just an example. So, like, in the first season of True Detective, you would have, like, a random scene at a Bon Me stand, you know, and you'd just be like, oh, this is kind of cool. That was like, what are they I'm doing? You what this. are they doing at this Bon Me stand? That's, like, a new – and they never went back there, and it didn't really matter, but it was a definitively – like, have they gone to a taco spot yet? Like, no, where, like is, what are they doing? You know, where are they making, eating? You're making the greatest point that I feel like we have completely avoided, which is regardless of what anyone thought of the first season – it was treated like a film in the best way in that Fukunaga and his team went into the place and yeah. they did not shoot anything on a soundstage or a set, I think. And they did enough deep research that they were like, oh, here's a po'boy place. Here's a banh mi place. Here's a barbecue shack. Here's a burned out farmhouse. Yeah, here's, here's a where dive this church bar. is going to be. Here's three different dive bars, not the same yes. dive bar over and over again. And, yeah. and, and so even though I found the characters preposterous, they were grounded in a world that was fascinating and beautiful to mm -hmm. look at 
we've been talking since before this season premiered how much we like the mythological Los Angeles of noir and of, uh, and of fiction. Yeah. And just a tiny touch of that would make all the difference. The show is actually, as it's going on this season, is completely disassociating itself from any place. And by place, I don't mean like, oh, they didn't shoot a Guisados or whatever. Yeah. I'm saying it doesn't even feel like the made-up Los Angeles that they yeah, I mean, I like they'd the, worked so hard the to The scene create. between uh, Taylor Kitchen, his ex-girlfriend, when she tells him she's pregnant, is like very yeah. uh, Edward Hopper, I guess. Or, and that or, diner, yeah. yeah the, but it's... It's, it's nice. Uh, is it Edward Hopper? Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, Did you mean Mark Hoppus? <laughs> Because he's yeah, from West, the West Coast. That would, be on, that would be on Mars if that was happening. Yeah. No, um, that's, yeah, that, oh, yeah, that's, that, that, that's Tom DeLong, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it doesn't seem to have... I mean, there's a really good podcast on right now. On, on I think it's on KPCC out here, the public radio out here, about um, about like the sort of locales the True Detective is supposed to be set in. And Nancy Miller's been writing about it in LA Magazine's website. Just, you know, Taylor Kitsch is cruising Thai Town here. But it doesn't feel real to me which is fine i mean like if we've talked about the fantastical nature of this season but, but 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 the fantastic has to be grounded in the real i mean if you look at um like david lynch's mulholland drive which i know nick pizzolato has mm-hmm. th- that is a movie in which miniature blue grandparents crawl under a bedroom door yeah. and yet it feels like places you could visit. Like yeah. you could plausibly do a driving tour of Mulholland Drive. There have which been is a moments out there so far that are that like that. Like I felt as if the, um, I don't know. I felt like parts of there have been locations, especially early on, like that looked and felt very real. Like even and, and especially uh, Pitlar's clinic and some of the other places. I was like, oh, okay, I kind of see this. E- e- yeah, and I, and I thought the mayor's house we visited yeah. last week, which still is the best scene so far in the series, because what that was was a real phoniness. It was the sort of McMansion, yeah. um, just gaudiness, and that that in and of itself could be the background for an interesting show. Well, uh, it looks like now in the next episode, just based on the fact that Rachel McAdams is wearing a different uniform and Colin Farrell has no mustache, that we're going to get a similar kind of time jump that we did, maybe not as big, oh. uh, in the... Um, I didn't watch the next on. He loses the mustache? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I assume that next on is not spoilers. That's a deeper blow to me than the the unfortunate <laughs> machine gun death of Richie Yellow. You're gonna need some Pedialyte. But I mean, like, what? I feel like that was I, I've I've gotten heated about a bunch of things on the show, but that shootout was really cynical to me because it was just nothing, right? Like, it just really it was a rehash. It was it brought nothing. It made no sense why they were just shooting machine guns and then a floor exploded, and. You, again, like, what, what's driving me craziest about this season is that I like the actors so much, and they are giving so much, and they're being hung out to dry by the material. I think you really hit on something really, really uh, intuitive when you wrote about that, that final scene about how each of them were processing the events differently. Yeah, and that, that it, Paul seemed he, to be almost at peace with, like, that was where he felt most comfortable. Is he felt that. most alive, and yeah. you wrote about how, how Annie brought a, literally brought a knife to a gunfight, which, mm-hmm. was, which was a great observation. And, you know, nobody does sh- physically shaking from the horrific effects of violence like Colin Farrell. Right. And then it ended with a freeze frame. And it's it's not working. I, I think there needed to be a serious rethink of how to do True Detective as a different sort of show. Um, well, I without... thought that first season, the, 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 the raid that they had sort of was the defining moment in terms of Fukunaga's virtuosity and just uh, a calling card for how different that show and a television show could look. Uh, this season, this shootout will be definitive for this season based on how they 
react to this if it's like yep. oh yeah remember when we killed 40 people like and just move on then th- that's going to be a failure if this is an event that further destroys these destroyed people's lives and changes the like approach that they have to the police work it'll be interesting yeah and i i am completely i'm following your lead it it is much more relaxing to not be in the driver's seat on this show and to just try to appreciate what's to be appreciated but but man i i mean you know i i was obviously mixed but hopeful on the first three but i thought this was a really bad episode yeah um, okay, well, let's move on. We can talk a little bit about some other stuff. Uh, how about how about a little Comic Con? Yeah, you and I, you and I love Comic Con. We went last year. We did. You were we you did. were you were there for a Banshee panel. Um, yeah. You were there to keep me company on the train ride and yeah. then go back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We saw Chloe Grace Moretz on the train. We did see her on the train. We saw the dude who was about to create Outlander sitting on the train too. Oh, that's what's, right. What's that guy's name? Uh, Ronald Moore, the, right? Yeah, he was there. All Star. I mean, um, it was basically it was basically the uh, limousine of trains. It this was, was uh, even though there was no uh, Marvel uh, panel this year, there That's was right. still like a, a plenty of sort of big news that came out of it. Um, there's only so much you can really say about like announcements, but there was a new Batman versus Superman trailer, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know what did you, what did you think of that? I mean, I think it's some garbage. I mean, that I, my opinion on it has pretty much gone unchanged. I think uh, our, our man, uh, Jason Concepcion, was quick the first person to point this out to me, emailed it to me, that be- Zack Snyder is so grandiose in his ideas and so puny in his thinking behind the ideas. I mean, he's playing with things that I just feel like he fundamentally doesn't understand. And so there's that shot early on in which basically Bruce Wayne is 9-11'd by Superman. Right. What are we well, doing here? He was criticized in right, for the Man of Steel for doing that. Or is it Man of Steel? Is that the, the yes? And there, people were like, "How can you do that, man? Like, it's just, it's just you can't use nine eleven as like a playground for Zod and Superman to fight and then make people have the same reactions." And he's like, "I can't." watch me and did watch another me. movie that seems to start with it yeah i i also think the the other problem here is it, it's it's just a question of who's who's doing it you know like i i personally don't have any interest in seeing a superman or batman movie at this point period so like that's just let's say that going in sure. but a superman or a batman movie or a superman fighting batman movie well certainly the fighting one because here's the thing there are there are plenty of ideas and interesting ideas to play with especially if we've accepted that we live in a world where we're going to keep coming at these characters in every possible way every few years so this idea of superman as this unchecked rage god and then like humanity being like no we're not going to worship you we're going to fight back or try and check your power like that's Kind of interesting. I mean, check there have been a bunch. Dog. There's been a couple. Check check your Kryptonian check your privilege. Super privilege. <laughs> there have been there have been plenty of stories told along the many many you know the long history of Superman where it, he was used as a parable for nuclear power, the nuclear myth. And there was this story that that Mark Millar did called Red Sun, where Superman doesn't land in Kansas, he lands in Soviet Russia. Yeah. And so then, of course, he's the biggest threat. Think about that. Um, yeah, but that's the problem with these. Mm. That's exact. What you're doing is exactly right because Mark Miller is in many ways the Zack Snyder of comic books. Right. He's a guy who's just like, oh yeah. Well, what if it happened twice, <laughs> but with sharks? Tell me a little bit. So this it, it's too much. It's Batman too much. versus and, Superman or Superman versus Batman. It's Batman v Superman, okay. like Kramer v. And Kramer. this is a Frank Miller story. No, it's it's combined. It's mashing up a couple things. It's taking the the visuals from Frank Miller's um, iconic Dark Knight Rises, 
uh, I'm sorry, a Dark Knight. Wait, wait, why am I mixing it up? It's uh, a Dark Knight Strikes Back, 1986 uh, graphic novel. Uh, Dark Knight Rises was the movie, right? Yeah. Um, and in that, Batman is old, miserable, furious, and finally wants to get revenge on the Joker, whom he kills gruesomely, and uh, basically builds this giant metal super suit to defeat Superman because they've always hated each other. And it was like groundbreaking because, oh, comics can be dark, they can be for grown-ups, they can actually deal with the simmering tension between these characters, and of course, in many ways ruined all comic book storytelling for like two decades when sure. everything had to become dark and gritty. So the visuals are purely taken from that, but this, but the way that it's sort of it seems to me to be an awkward merging of dealing with a fallout in literal ways from the first movie and then also setting up a cinematic universe because midway through the trailer, it's like, oh, reference to the Joker. Oh, Wonder Woman is there for some reason. So it's what these all are, which is, you know, um, it's corporate action figure fiddling. But in this comic or in this story, is Superman just misunderstood or are they actually – because I got the impression from the trailer that Batman is sort of the villain. I, I think they're trying to suggest that they both have a point. Although it's super weird when Diane Lane is like... got a point, Superman. when Diane Lane is like, don't worry, baby, kill them all. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of intense. But it's... Yeah, I don't don't get it. I mean, because for me, we never talked about this um, since you saw it later, but the worst part of Age of Ultron to me, and I didn't think Age of Ultron was particularly good at all, but it really bummed me out when the movie just grinds to a halt for 15 minutes so Iron Man and the Hulk can punch each other. And there's this feeling in the movie that Joss Whedon is like, oh, okay, I got to do this. Here, storyboard dudes, just do this. Mm-hmm. And I'll try to give it this a modicum of wit, but that's not the movie I want to make. And I actually thought watching that movie that it would actually would have been better if someone who was just purely interested in them punching had made it yeah. instead of someone who's trying to half-ass it between clever banter and giant earth-shaking punches. Yeah, sure. Um, this movie feels like it was made to appeal only to the people who wanted to see that that part right you know the way they punch each other because they're going to punch each other sidebar what who is the english actor who is going to play alfred the butler next oh because because it's it, it's uh jeremy irons in this one yeah so who's up next i would love who's to see, on um, deck i mean betney is already taken in butler duties right Benny's taken a good point on Butler duties. He's also a little young. He could age into it. Like yeah, when they I mean, when they reboot in, Batman again in 20 years. I mean, Marissa Tomei is playing Aunt May. Seriously, though, did we need to see uh, that the reason Batman becomes Batman is because a, a robber kills his parents again? This is what I want to talk about. Again, we, I mentioned Jason before. He wrote this piece that I was so happy to see, which is like ranking the times the Waynes have been murked in popular <laughs> fiction. It's like we we know. We I, I, I assure you that we know that this is why he's Batman at this point. Yeah. And yet we still need to see it in, like, operatic, slow-mo, violent porn. Yeah. Like, I, I you got to get Jeffrey I, Dean Morgan his pay rate for that. I don't I, – I, I'm flummoxed. I'm flummoxed uh, there was a, another There was another panel at Comic-Con for Suicide Squad. And the director of that movie, David Ayer, apparently his takeaway quote was, uh, all this good versus evil shit is played out. It's all about bad versus evil now. Like, that's – cool. And I was thinking about how much that kind of com- like talk, like just the very basic "Are you good or are you bad?" has just seeped into so many different non-superhero uh, forms. Whether it's like Bloodlines or uh, even it's, it's True Detective, or every all these show on TV just like, for I'm the a last bad person, years. or I'm a good person, but I'm doing bad things. And um, 
I think that that might be some of our exhaustion with some of this. As much as we're like, I don't need to see two cartoons fight against a skyscraper for 20 minutes. Yeah. There's also this reductive kind of view of the world that I think for people like us who might be on the back end of of being interested this the demographic who's interested in these movies i think we're probably like a little like you know what? i don't really give a shit if you think you're good or bad because like what you're supposed to do is show me not tell me this is what i feel about tv for the last 10 years i'm interested i'm not interested in good people being bad or bad people pretending to be good i'm interested in people yeah and then they do stuff and like that seems like it's an obvious way to begin with the story but it's profoundly not just considering the number of tv shows and you mentioned some of them that have literally begun with someone looking into a mirror and saying those words yeah i'm not a bad person or I, there are shades of gray in the world it's like <laughs> come on we all went to college you know what i mean like we all we all listened to the cure for a little while and then we moved on um i i find it pretty exhausting and the thing is I mean, I think we should probably talk about it next week, assuming you see it. But I saw Ant-Man, mm-hmm. which is the latest in these. And, yeah, I've, and actually, I've got a Michael Pena pod coming this week. Oh, that dude steals the movie. That Good. dude is a delight. It's enjoyable. And it's enjoyable in the way that I'm willing to – in the way that you were talking about True Detective. Like, I will take out the things that I appreciated in this movie and just try to forget about all the parts that I didn't want to deal with. Sure. But the annoying part of it is that it's primarily, like all of them, an origin story. You know, if if you had told me, which is what I imagine Edgar Wright probably pitched at some point, if you had told me, oh, I'm going to make a heist movie, and there's going to be some magic formulas, and there's going to be some giant bugs or whatever, but it's a heist movie, and it stars, you know, Paul Rudd and Michael Pena and Michael Douglas and uh, and, and Wood Harris and T.I. and Bobby Cannavale, like, I'm in. I am into that movie. Yeah. Similarly, the further we get from it, I think, like, Guardians of the Galaxy is the one that worked the best out of these, probably. Yeah. Because it was like... Who cares? We're just going to have fun. Like, we're just going to do this thing, and we're going to own it, and we're going to have fun. But this Batman-Superman stuff, it just carries the weight of so many things. And because it's so self-serious, it feels crushing. And it's not just because, you know, all these 9-11 parables. It's because it is so nakedly telling us that this is the first chapter of a nine-part story that we're going to be seeing until we're way, way past the age of 40. Like, it's... Sorry to bum you out there. No, no. We're not bad people. We're just old. But... Uh, yeah, but that, it, that it won't it, be that, that, that long from now. <laughs> but it's—I was trying to make it sound like it was, but it—it's—it's—it's it's, it's too heavy for me. I don't know. I mean, what what else came out this week? I mean, there was a uh, lot there was of, some, like, a lot some of Star DC Wars stuff. stuff like they—they uh, they oh, talked yeah. about um, what was one of the oh the, they're going to make a Han Solo spinoff that's directed by Lord and Miller. Yeah, which is like okay, gonna go into fantasy casting of that now, and that bums me out only because the casting. Like, I, I want to see Lord and Miller make a bounty hunter movie or whatever. Like, that's that's awesome. That would be right. so fun. Those guys really know how to how to wink and kind of mean it. But I, I do think they're setting themselves up for failure, just assuming that there's another actor who can be Harrison Ford. Yeah, that's sort of a tall a tall task. Because um, you need someone who is kind of who's a cranky stoner asshole who'd rather be a carpenter. Like, you need to find that guy and, and you then can't suddenly put cast him in front Chris of a green screen. Pratt and everything. No. And he's not that. He's That's already playing Han Solo in Guardians of the Galaxy, so I don't think right. he can really... I agree. I, I think that there was... Did you see the story in the Times that coming out of Comic-Con about the the delicate dance of promotion? I mean, I can't believe the Times... The Times is on it, the delicate dance of billion-dollar franchise promotion, but about the way that they're trying to play this just right because they know they can't give away too much. Yeah, they've put up five minutes of Superman already, and it's not coming out till next year for, right. for almost a year. And, and Star Wars knows that they have the one that everybody wants to see, 
but they so they have to keep people engaged, but they also don't want to blow it because this this you know almost spiritual generational wanting is just powering the whole thing. Yeah. But they wrote about how the thing that they focused on as the angle, and it was it was what they what they trafficked in at Comic Con was the how it's all made, it's all built. Mm-hmm. There's no CGI or very little CGI. Yeah. So it was all behind That's the a, scenes stuff. It wasn't like it, here's more yeah, clips. It was just clips of the of them doing the, the, the what's it called the snapboard or the whatever the you know the three two one action oh yeah the clip like the, the, the clap yeah. the clapboard the clapper in front of like this is the Millennium Falcon set this is some cantina this is someone actually wearing a uniform that is a stormtrooper uniform yeah and it's crazy that that is what they're selling themselves on but it works like that it it is such a smart reading of the marketplace i think and i wonder if that was all jj abrams or if kathleen kennedy who runs lucasfilm knew that going in whether she had hired brad bird or anyone else to do it Mm -hmm. or if 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 ultimately no matter what happens in this 20 years of star wars shared universe if that one decision and if it was made by jj abrams more power to him that's the one that's going to get i think each one of these franchises needs to distinguish themselves somehow and marvel kind of took the corner of like what I think people associate with Star Wars growing up in terms of it's fun. It's like there's some consequences, but it's ultimately pretty fun. And it's like bright. Yeah. A lot of it happens during the daytime and people are smart Alex and like there's like love, but there's not really sex and there's violence, but there's not really blood. And it has yeah. that kind of vibe. And then DC has obviously been like, OK, well, we'll, we'll stake out the everything is shrouded in darkness. No one is truly good or bad. Everything has these awful consequences. And everybody has a, a, a daddy issue or a mommy issue they're working through. Star Wars just seems to be like, cool, we'll just be Star Wars then. Like, we'll just build stuff and shoot it, and it'll, like, put a, a modern varnish on it. We are going to prop up the, the cultural tourism industry of Tunisia for another decade. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's smart. It's smart. Yeah. Um, you had something... I oh, know- yeah. I want, I want to ask you about this. Yeah. So can, we, can we talk about this? Yeah, sure. Because you gave me a hard no when I suggested no, it I was before, just but I feel like you were—you uh, just weren't seeing. I'm, my, my I'm operating on like five hours of True Detective sleep here, so I'm keep forgetting the name of. Like I tried to think of the name of the guy who's in the trip, Steve Coogan. Yeah, for like ten minutes, I kept thinking Steve Carell. That's who I think should be Alfred, Steve Coogan. Oh, yeah, that's good. Thanks. That's good. We sort of got away from that. I feel like anyone in Game of Thrones could be the next Alfred. Oh yeah, literally anyone. Gwen- Cunningham or something like that. You're, yeah, or, or Gwendolyn Christie at some oh, yeah. point. You know, she, I mean, it's it, it just like just keep, now that you're done moving. watching this candle, please be a butler for a vigilante. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's in Star Wars too. Okay, she's doing fine. She's doing fine. Did you see that they, the Game of Thrones did a panel this year? And 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 you know, the, of course, Benioff and Weiss didn't go because they saw this coming a billion miles away. But the audience basically just asked them questions about rape culture. Also, but didn't David Nutter just say like he's dead? Yeah, but I because they asked the wrong question. Of course he's dead, but like the other dudes who've been resurrected were dead too. No one asked, is he coming back? Right. Did I just blow your mind? No, I mean I I this is just going to be such a stupid dance to do for nine months. It's so boring. I totally agree. But we're going to be on every second of it. Sure. Here's what I wanted to ask you about. We've ta- we we've joked before about how there's too much TV, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's too much TV in in a way that is of course calculated, but it might be short sighted. So here here's what I wanted. Here's the picture I wanted to. To, to, to paint for you. Today, Comcast announced they're going to start offering a, subscri- a web subscription service so you don't actually have to pay for cable on your TV, but you pay them $15 a month and you get a tiered system so you would have access to, I don't remember the details, but you could get HBO and ESPN and you know whatever they determined to be the, the prime Instead of the channels. 400 channels that you don't really want to pay for 300 of them. Yeah. Right. And so this is 
another volley in this coming, it's not even a war, but it's just this inevitable seismic change in the landscape right. where all these networks are starting to go over the top, like HBO Now, Showtime has a service soon. Um, they're all going to be competing with Netflix. Pretty soon TV, we're not going to be making this distinction between the box and whatever. And, P and people are going to want to curate their own experience. More power to them. One of the first th reasons that that's, the first you know outcomes of that has been the fact that once networks saw this coming and they realized that they couldn't just exist by getting free money because right now like Annie gets money no matter how yeah. many whether you watch it or not right all these networks realized they need to have a reason to exist so they got into scripted so that they became attractive destinations sure. so we know what AMC is now as opposed to just another channel we just happened to get in the 200s um, the next thing we're seeing is people bulking up their libraries because they need to start to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Netflix and be something you subscribe to specifically. So I feel like that's why we get the brink and ballers. That's why we're going to get HBO shows that maybe would have gotten canceled in the past. Like, maybe that's why The Leftovers is getting a second season. In the short term, it's awesome because look how many good shows we're talking about this yeah. summer. Yeah. I mean, H Humans and Mr. Robot and, and you really are into Unreal, which I haven't checked out, right? Deutschland 83, show. yeah, Halt and Catch Fire. This has been There's an like amazing summer. There's like 10 shows on right now that are really good. And we talk about how much we like them, but I'm not caught up on some of those. Yeah. Like, I haven't seen last night's Halt and Catch Fire yet. I haven't seen last night's Humans yet. It's too much. Um, I wonder, I feel like every one of these entities is now scheming for the long term to survive the next big jump. But I wonder how that serves us in the short term because they're building up all this content. No one can keep up with it. The industry that's built up around it in terms of us writing about it and talking about it, we can't keep up with it, right? And, and I, I spoke to... I, went, I don't know if I mentioned this on the pod before, but I went back to my high school for a re reunion, and I talked to high school kids, and they were like, oh, you write about TV? Oh, do you write about Netflix? And I was like, yeah, I consider that to be TV, blah, blah, blah. Like, what do you guys watch? And they're like, oh, well, do you know about, um, do you know about Friends? And I was like, yeah, it was a popular show when I was your age. They're like, yeah, we, we binge watched all 200 of them, yeah. which is insane to me. Right. But then they were like, um, these other girls were like, you know what show we're really into? And I assumed they were going to say something that netflix was promoting i assume they were going to be like sense eight or they weren't going to say bloodline or but whatever they were like have you ever heard of a show called prison break right these sh so these shows are getting weird second lives which is yeah. makes sense but the culture is built for them to be consumed and devoured and discussed in the short term right well this so is I also like, like where you like i'll look short at arm and they long tail. every once in a while it'll just be like pictures and videos from supernatural ottawa con you know like <laughs> okay, fair enough and it's yeah. like that show supernatural that's been on for like 14 seasons and you're just yeah. like this is just on tnt before basketball games i don't understand yeah there was it has like this craze it's not even cult fan base it's just that like i feel like what you're saying is that whatever hubris we have about covering the monoculture and that like mm. we start a show on monday about surfing sunday the zeitgeist well no yeah. but we have a show on mondays that's about sunday nights assuming that there's a core group of people who watch the best or most important shows on a sunday night or the noisiest as yeah. they happen and want to talk about them as soon as that happens and we know that there are there are those people but a time like this is very interesting because there isn't a quote-unquote great show. I mean, True Detective, I can feel friends of mine who were into last season just being like, I don't, I don't care. I'll catch up or I won't. Oh, yeah. You've got a bunch of shows that are really good, but Unreal and Deutschland and Halt are not 
Breaking Bad, Mad Men, and, and Game they're of Thrones. Not, they're not conversation not, drivers. Yeah, not even ratings-wise as much as, like, what well, everybody has to talk. We're, we all are on pins and needles to find out how Unreal resolves itself. That's just not happening. Are- I, I will say, I think people are getting super psyched on Mr. Robot in a way that I was that has surprised me. So you might need to revisit that soon. I, I can't wait. I mean, I thought I thought the third episode was phenomenal. You know, yeah, like, it's good. Um, but it, it is. It, we've talked about this before. We are going to get to this point. Like I, I find myself now as somebody who is to a fault on top of television, being like, is. Whatever happened to the Philip K. Dick show on Amazon? Like, where's that? Like, I can't. If that could have come and gone, and I wouldn't know. Is X? When's X Files on? Like, what, there's all this stuff. To, to answer your question, uh, it's not hasn't been on yet. Soon, and X Files is January. But right. go on. January? I thought it was this summer. No, they're filming now. Oh, okay, I, it, it's going to be just like be all this stuff thing. that's out there that they realize. Like, if we have just enough people who are very interested in this topic, that's why I'm like. I, I'm sure there's some financial reasons, but it's surprising that Hannibal can't just keep going. Yes, I, I agree. I think th- that may be a case where the economics were stretched so thin and there were so many little investors that, you know, that it, it, it just doesn't work. Like NBC couldn't care less about the show, but paid for an enormous percentage of it. And then when NBC pulled out of the funding, they weren't able to... I, I think that its other major funders were... Um, what's the word? Greece, <laughs> and so then they've been they've been struggling. Is it really? But, no, I, I, but I, it is, it is surprising to me. But then it's also strange that we live in a moment where it's a surprise that something so, I think it's excellent, but something relatively minor can still just generate and be made and be made. And I and I, I think that it's odd the way we're we're TV culture is existing at the same time for the short term and the long tail. And that is a awkward balance to to, to to try to. You can't please both sides yeah. always. Yeah. You know, I, I think that the the marketplace example we talked about this last week of like AMC partnering, stepping in when Xbox dropped out, and partnering with with uh, Channel Four on Humans. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. It's a hit there. It's okay here. Everyone is kind of happy. I get how that could run for a number of seasons. Um, HBO and Netflix have all the money, and Amazon exists in a universe where profits don't matter so they, they can just keep doing whatever but a lot of the other companies that networks that want to get in on this i think they're just going to get they, they can't keep up they can't keep running at this pace of generating stuff trying to get talked about yeah it's funny driving down sunset like right around where like the standard and uh sunset marquee are there are all these billboards um digital billboards but billboards for new nbc shows like yes. uh, gerard carmichael and craig robinson shows and they look like i feel i feel like i'm going into a time machine when i drive past them where it's like it's that time for mr robinson and it's like yeah. what what the hell like, like what is he what is he even doing the dry, and i'm almost like i'm totally good. gonna watch that because it looks like a 1990s comedy it looks like You're, a real like walk into a room it's mr robinson you know like the the, the gerard one gerard carmichael show is really good for that reason like it's very very much like well, you guys are talking about obama i mean it's but it's intentionally that yeah. and it's the actors are really good and it's kind of more norman leary than than anything else like it's it's actually smart and pretty good um and the jim gaffigan show which is premiering this week is another one like right. it's very smart it's very funny it's a very classic kind of sitcom but very contemporary um, so let me let me but, ask. But, you but this wait, way. but but when you but when you mentioned Mr. Robinson and Gerard, like NBC Universal Comcast, the gigantic company, I wonder where what which business model is making more sense for them right now. Is it putting a lot of money into NBC shows like The Player with Wesley Snipes and sitcoms that are going to fail and going big, big, big 
the way they always have. Or over here, Bravo's like, here's a sitcom. Like, we'll try it. Well, like it's Odd cheap. Mom Out or whatever. Odd yeah. Mom Out is premiering, you know, and, and, and they're just generating content and they're doing it cheaply and their margins are so different that I wonder if that's actually the more dynamic part of the business. I think it is. The same thing with Mr. Robot. So I mean, let that, me ask you this, not as, like, not as a writer too. and not as like a cultural watcher, but just as a person who watches television. A person who is neither good nor bad, but yeah, shades somebody of Somebody who, who's, who's a good person, but did a bad thing, which is to become a TV critic. <laughs> it was um, a huge mistake. Which one do you prefer? Would you prefer that summer was dead and nothing was on, but you were really excited because in the fall these new shows were going to come on? Right. Or uh, do you prefer going home and sitting down with your wife and turning on your computer vision? I know, I know I'm sounding like a thousand years old, but like, that's basically what you're doing where you're like turning on your Apple box, Apple TV or Netflix or whatever. Yeah. And you're saying like, what do you want to watch tonight? I am often paralyzed by indecision and choice. I don't remember. I mean, not when I'm watching stuff for work, but when actually I'm sitting down with my 19 remote controls like we all have now and trying to figure out, A, how they work, and B, what we're going to watch. Because by the time we've gone through the options, we're exhausted. By the time we've gone through every possible movie we could watch, free and paid for, TV shows we gave up on, TV shows we want to check out, it's often exhausting, and we end up just talking or going to bed. That's the sad truth. But in terms of what you're asking, if I'm not talking professionally... This summer has been one of the most fun and exciting seasons of certainly TV entertainment I can yeah. remember precisely because there's just so much stuff that's good and it's not fraught and it's not weighted. It's just been really pleasurable and enjoyable to watch so many so many B pluses um, I've really enjoyed. Yeah. That said, I think a little bit as a person but definitely as a professional – I miss the consensus sweep yeah, of things. I mean, we the, miss it like, talking hey, about Game of Thrones. There's only five but... things on, so most people have an opinion on them one way or the other. Yeah, and I also miss, like, if you look at the, the, the network season this fall, there's nothing good. <laughs> I mean, may, there's not. I mean, I haven't even watched any of it yet, but I'm telling you that there isn't. Like, right. the, Mupp- the Muppets, that could be amusing. There could be a couple sitcoms that are pleasant. Um you know, Minority Report on Fox, that looks fine, but so did um, Almost Human. You know what I mean? It's... The needle is not getting moved by these shows, and it, and that's too bad. That's too bad. It would be exciting for there to be something. Empire, whether people liked it or not, Empire was super fun. Yeah. It was super fun to watch, I think. It was super fun to talk about. It was super fun for the culture. So big stuff is still good, just filling out filling out the library moves. Um, I don't know. I feel like we're bleeding into, like, how to be a successful GM talk almost. No, but make, it's – but I, I'm trying to decide, Do you make your moves on the waiver like, wire whether... with, like, imports, or do you go for the big, splashy signing? <sighs> Because it's been exciting to be, like, searching weird IMDb lists of British television shows that people in England are watching and be like, oh, it's like, what's this and what's that? And it's cool to like kind of just find some random Netflix show from, like, Sweden or something that's good, you know? And it's also great to find something that's, like, Mr. Robot or Unreal that you're just like, what a weird surprise off, of, like, a random network of, like, a random yes. assortment of actors. And this may – is this just what happens when you let Marty Noxon make a show the way she wants to? Like, is this just what happened when you let Sam Esmail make a show the way he wants to? Like, yes. it's great. But it does feel like a little bit more work. It feels like a little I, bit more like you have to be like, okay, I know somebody I know saw three episodes of this and I, insists that I watch it, you know? I, I also think that we have built a cultural machine that employs both of us that is increasingly ill-suited for the way this is actually working. In that the machine that we built is so 
perfectly suited to cover Game of Thrones or the end of Breaking Bad or whatever. Right. I mean, obviously that, that, that benefits us because we do it, but it's also really fun and we're ready to make jokes and spin on everything and talk to people exactly when they want to talk about it. But we're actually, I feel like in, in general, we're headed towards a place where TV shows are really... They're, they're less like newspapers dropped at your front door. They're a lot more like books that you pull off, off the shelf. Like someone is going to, at some point, you know, grab something, whether it was something that, you know, that I think was really good and underlooked in its time, like uh, an overlooked in its time, like, like Terriers, which you can stream and you can watch now, and it's as good now as it was in 2010. Or it's time to revisit Bloodline, or it's time to revisit Daredevil, a show I really like that I still haven't finished yeah, because there was to too much. Daredevil. I, I forgot. Yeah. And so then you pull it down and you say, okay, let's watch it, let's enjoy it, and now let's talk about it. Let's really, like, clear our throat and think about it way it is in its place and so there's this gulf between now we're just talking about i think media which is less interesting but there is a huge gulf between the 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 servicey buzziness of of now and the perhaps more thoughtful reflective of how the stuff is actually being consumed longer take yeah and i don't don't know how to divide that if we could figure out how to divide that and we could write an explainer about it for vox (laughs) maybe we could do well in web 3.0 we'll see uh all right man so next week we'll talk a little bit more about true detective yeah, check out Ant Man so we can I'll talk check about out Ant Man. Maybe we'll hit, hit back up Mr. Robot. I'll catch up on some Halt. We can do a little mid season check in on those. Yeah, Halt's still good, man. You gotta, you gotta go back to it. All right, man. I'll see you next week. Great job, Baranski! Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.